Psalm 51 is where we're going to start. There is, of course, a worldwide crisis going on, but, there's, but it's not seen under a microscope. We know about the one that's found under a microscope. I'm talking, of course, about unbelief. Church, now is the time to be bold and courageous and speak our truth louder than ever. The path to life for every human being everywhere is to believe and do what Jesus says. And there's a worldwide crisis of unbelief. This sounds narrow and restrictive if you don't sense the danger. But times like now in our history that we are living through are used to turn us back to God, to give us a sense of of danger, not just physical danger, but, but eternal danger, and to get our head on straight about truth. That truth does not take into account my personal taste. Let's imagine for a moment that it was discovered. We're learning a little bit more each week, each day that goes by. There's hardworking people who are trying to figure this thing out. Let's imagine that we discover that there is an absolute sure way to not be affected by the coronavirus. It involves wearing Hawaiian print clothing and some sort of hat. Now, you would gain no sympathy if you told people how much you hated wearing gaudy clothing and that you didn't really like getting your hair messed up. The logical person would say, that doesn't really matter. You make a choice. You believe and act what you are told or you don't. So in this case, it would be style over salvation. It would put to the test someone who says, I would rather be caught dead than wearing that. So maybe that's how it would move forward. This is what, we, this is what happens with every doctor. Your stated belief or the size of your belief is not what saves you. Exercising faith in a doctor that's telling the truth is what saves you. Let me say that again. Stating belief or the size of your belief is not what saves you. Exercising belief in a doctor who's telling the truth is what saves you. Jesus is the good doctor. He diagnoses life, he prescribes medicine, and then he leaves it up to us. The choice is ours. You know, there's a delay to the effects of disease, and there is a delay to the effects of sin. Not trusting God leads to not obeying God, which leads to trouble. Maybe not today, but in some future tomorrow, it always leads to trouble. That's why I'd say the crisis is unbelief. Today, Jesus is going to teach some very simple truths. And if we will just act like a Christian, here's what a Christian does. They hear and do what Jesus says. That's it. A disciple of Jesus hears and does what Jesus says. You ready for it? Here's the promise. I promise you it will revolutionize every one of your relationships. What's taught today will heal your inner hurts. What's taught today will change your life for good every day. Now, these are massive promises, I know. 
But I have really good source material uh, that I'm making this claim from. First, a quick disclaimer. Here's the disclaimer. There is a fundamental sadness to this life. The Bible teaches this. Jesus promises this and sets our expectation. There's a fundamental sadness to the life that will never be solved this side of eternity. Perfect faith and forgiveness. Two topics we're going to talk about. Perfect faith and forgiveness will make every relationship better. It will, it will heal you and change your life, and you will still have trouble in this world. Jesus had perfect faith. Jesus forgave, forgave perfectly, and he was known as a man of sorrows. So as always, I am the humble messenger. So what I'm going to do is, in this equation, I'm going to proclaim a message uh, and your role in this is to listen carefully, test what I say against Scripture, and, and if what I say angers you, take it up with God. So we're going to get going with that. We're in chapter 17 of Luke, but you're not in chapter 17 because you listened carefully at the start of this. You're in Psalm 51. We're going to get to Luke 17 in a second, but here's Luke 17 in three scenes, okay? Today we're going to look at Jesus teaching his followers how to live in the now and later kingdom that he's proclaiming. Next week is scene two. Jesus is continuing his journey to the cross, which is waiting for him in Jerusalem, and on his way he does 10 miracles, Two weeks from now, we're going to look at Jesus addressing the Pharisees who have the question of when. When is this kingdom going to take place? So three big kingdom ethics are covered in the next couple of weeks. Forgiveness, faith, and thankfulness. All three of those are fairly easy to understand. They're a lot harder to do than to talk about. We're going to look at forgiveness and faith today. I want to start with a brief word on sin and temptation, and that's why we're in Psalm 51. Sin sickens the heart long before it affects our behavior. Let me give you two scriptures. These are in your notes, by the way, so you can find the references. But Luke 6.43 says this, For each tree is known by its own fruit. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Sin sickens the heart long before it affects our behavior. Here's another one, Jesus teaching in Mark 7. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man... Come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Sin sickens the heart and the fruit of it is what we see. It's the behavior. Our problem fundamentally is not out there. Our problem fundamentally is from within. So all sin leads to death eventually, but not all sin 
is the same. We know this, and the Bible gives some clarity on this, and this is why we're in Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2, I want to show you three words the Bible uses for sin. These aren't the definitive words that, that are used. There's others, but in this one short passage, this one short place, we get to see sort of three different sides to sin, and you'll see what I mean by the differences. Psalm 51, 1 says this. This is David crying out to God after sinning. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. We see three words. Let's take those one at a time. Transgression. What's transgression? Transgression is a mouthful is what it is. Transgression is knowing the boundary and willingly stepping over the line. No parking. I'm going to park. Don't do that. Couldn't be more clear. I'm going to do it. It's plain old wrongdoing. We are rebelling against God and we are saying with our actions what's in our heart, which is, I'm in charge. I know better. I'm going to do what I want to do. Basic wrongdoing. Now, we, we learned this about age two. It's really born in us, but we, we learned it in age two. We, we practiced it through the teenage years. Uh, some of you are practicing right now. Uh, and then we, we began to perfect it as adults. It's plain old wrongdoing. How about iniquity? What's iniquity? Iniquity is moral uncleanness. It is the general and pervasive state we are born into. Here's what it is. It's red socks in a load of whites. Right? We've all done that before. It's red socks in a load of whites. The stain of red knows no bounds once it's tossed into the whites. It takes on different shades. It takes on different shapes, right? Depending on if you're a t-shirt, if you're tidy whities if you're socks. But none escapes the stain of the red socks in the white laundry load. And none of the garments can do anything to eradicate their stain, to cleanse themselves. So not only are all people or all garments affected, but all aspects of people, all aspects of the garment are affected. Here's what I mean by that. We are born in iniquity, which affects our thoughts. It affects our desires. It affects our actions. It affects our reason, our speech, our imagination, our body, etc., the stain of sin not only affects all human beings, but it affects all aspects of us. How about the word sin? The, the word sin quite simply just means falling short of a standard. It's missing the bullseye, right? So even when we are trying to do our best, even when we are trying to do our very best at being good, we always look back and realize we never get it perfect. Uh, this week, I was sitting out in my front yard, which I'm doing a lot of, and we were sitting there. We have a lot of people walk past our, our, our house, and there was a, a mom and her two kids that were, that were riding bikes, and they sort of took a wide swath around, so they went out of the driveway um, near our house, next door to our house, and as they were driving to sort of avoid us, and the streets are pretty quiet, and so they're, they're out there, the, the little girl who's out ahead, um, she begins to pedal, and she's veering more and more into the street. And, and the mom begins shouting. And she's, she's shouting words of warning. She's shouting, get over, get over, get over. 
Now, as parents, we're sitting there, and we feel the pain of this. And with every shout, the panic mounts more and more. This girl's barely been riding a bike for not long, you can tell. And pretty soon, she's now heading into oncoming traffic. We jump up and try to help calm the situation. What's happening here? This little girl is sinning. How rude. How could you say that? She's just a sweet little girl. This little girl is sinning. She's trying to do her best, right? She wasn't saying, I'm out of here, mom. You can't tell me what to do. There was none of that. She'll do that later in her teen years. Right now, she's trying to follow mom's warning. But with each ramped up vocal cord of mom, she's panicking more and more and heading into oncoming traffic. What a picture of sin. Our very best leads to tragedy because we are incapable of getting things right for long. The Bible gives a stark commentary on our very best efforts. Ready? Here it is. Filthy rags. That's how pure our best is. Romans builds our shortcomings to this crescendo in Romans 3.12. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Remember last week from the thief on the cross, a first step towards salvation is just having a right assessment. This is why we say the phrase, to err is human. And into this mess of different shades of sin, we wake and walk every single day. Interesting that social distancing hasn't prevented social destruction, right? If I could just get away from people at work. Well, you're now away from people at work. How's life going? We're all talking about distance learning. There's distance sinning. Sin takes place over the internet just as much as it does in person. Why? Because it lives within us. This is why I encourage none of you, don't go out and be a hermit. Don't go out and live by yourself in the desert. That's not the answer. Your sin will follow you there. So now Jesus, flip back over to Luke 17, starting in verse 1. We're going to cover the first 10 verses this week, and there's a lot in here. We're going to get to some of it. Now Jesus on temptation, sin, and forgiveness. How core are these to what he came and talked about? Luke 17, 1. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Let me pause there. Temptations are a fact of life. Don't be shocked by temptations. Don't, be, don't get caught off guard and don't give in to them. Evil ideas, evil images, evil sounds will come to you every single day. It's not wrong, it's just life. Sin comes when we take the bait. Sin comes when we invite it in for dinner. Sin comes when we make peace or make friends with the sin we're tempted with. The scriptural way is this, don't do any of those things. Kill sin. By the power of God, kill sin. So don't be shocked by temptations, but also don't be the source of temptations for others. This woe to you is really, really, really strong language. So run with this imagery for a moment. 
My latest activity I've taken up is scuba diving. I had two sons that were scuba diving. They're like, Dad, you've got to come and learn scuba diving. So I did. Scuba diving is an activity that is primarily about not dying. When you're getting trained to be a scuba diver, here's what the instructor is doing regularly. He is going around to each of the people, turning to them, and making sure they are alive. So he gives the little, are you okay sign, and you need to give the, I'm okay, I'm still alive, I'm still breathing sign. This activity is something that with every dive, you are supposed to rehearse. In fact, you're trained to rehearse where your weights are, where your releases are, and how to get them out really, really quickly. Why? Because humans are terrified of sinking to the bottom of the ocean. If something goes wrong and I don't have air anymore and my backup one doesn't work and my buddy's not around, what do I do? I have a few moments to, to get to the surface. Humans are terrified of sinking to the bottom of the ocean. Why? Because we can't breathe underwater. So this is the picture that Jesus paints. He says, using a giant millstone as a necklace and then jumping overboard and sinking to the bottom of an ocean is a preferable plan than being the source of temptation to sin for anyone else. That's a really strong warning. And we ought not think it's just people out there. Christian, if you are in Christ, here's what you are. You are forgiven and you are free. You now have a choice when temptation comes. You have power to choose yes or no. Only don't use your Christian freedom to cause other people to sin. Romans 14, 13, again in your handouts, but here it is. Decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. It's a choice, isn't it? Never use your Christian freedom to hurt other people, ever. So don't use your dress, the way that you carry yourself, your appearance, to tempt other people to sin. Don't use your words to tempt other people to sin. Lay down your freedoms, lay down your rights if it is going to cause someone else to trip up. So that's the negative way of saying it. Don't use your Christian freedom to hurt others. Here's the positive way. Always use your Christian freedom to build others up. Romans 15.1 says this. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Listen to this. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Don't use your Christian freedom to ever tear people down or hurt people or hinder people. Always use it. Always say, God, how can I use this to build others up? Now he turns to the subject of forgiveness, which is really kind of the meat of this morning's message. You know, there's lots of life coach advice. There's lots of TED Talks that you can watch on forgiveness. Most of it is man-centered that props us up and lets us off the hook. Most of it is man-centered. It props us up and lets us off the hook. Here's the bottom line. If your idea of forgiveness makes sense and seems doable, it is not biblical. If your concept of what you've been taught, if what you think of when you go to the word forgiveness makes sense, and seems doable, it's not biblical. 
When you hear Jesus' command today, your response ought to be, no way. That's impossible. We have some one another's that are in the scripture. What we've been doing this year is to take one of the one another's and put it in the bulletin each and every week. The one another in your bulletin this week speaks to this passage. It's Ephesians 4.32. Ready? You want to know how you should treat each other in shelter in place? Here's one of them. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How are we to treat one another? We are to be forgiving of one another as God forgave us in Christ. We're to forgive as God forgave us in Christ. As means we're to do it because he forgave us, but as also means in like manner, in the same way that Christ forgives us, we are to extend that to others. One of the community group questions this week is for you to sit, take time. It helps me to write stuff out. There's something powerful in writing it out. Ponder the dimensions of Jesus's forgiveness, not for the whole world, for you. Ponder the dimensions of Jesus' forgiveness. How often? How deep? How quick? How completely does his love wipe us clean and set us free of our sin? I want to walk you through this. Jesus forgives readily. Jesus forgives repeatedly. And Jesus forgives regularly. All right? Let's kind of walk through that. He commands us to do likewise. Number one is this. Living like Jesus means I will forgive readily. Look at verse 3. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. This is a command of Jesus. There's all kinds of ways to be tempted here. One way we've already looked at is, is you could be tempted to be the cause of someone else's sin. Here's another temptation that some of you struggle with. It's being tempted to ignore someone else's sin. If you are all rebuke and no forgiveness, that's sin. Guard against this temptation. But if you're all forgiving in your mind and there is never ever a word of rebuke, that also is sin. Guard against this temptation. Now there's only a handful of us here in this room this morning But this kind of living requires more than showing up once a week, spending time for an hour and a half with your brothers and sisters, going home and doing it all over seven days from then. Once a week, touch points are not enough to live together in community the way that we would know each other well enough. Our theme this year for community groups across the whole church is this, known that we would be known, that we would be known by God, recognize that, know that he sees us fully, loves us anyways, but also that we would really know one another. This requires commitment. It always does. Community always requires commitment. Getting to know one another, to see and speak into one another's lives. Jesus says it simply, you must forgive readily. Remember the Lord's prayer. Forgive us as we have forgiven others. What's missing from this command? Here's what's missing. Purgatory. A waiting period. Proof of sincerity. All of that's missing. Doesn't this remind you last week of the thief on the cross? 
The thief on the cross, one keeps on hurling insults, we presume, because there's nothing more said about him. But the other turns from his sin, confesses Jesus as Lord, and what does Jesus do? He readily forgives him. No purgatory, no waiting period, no proof of, go do some good acts, let me see if you're really sincere this time. None of that. Jesus forgives readily. Next live chat thing for you is this, okay? Uh, and Lavette, I'm calling you out. You're the queen of emojis, so you get to lead the charge in this. You have all your emojis situated where you can get right to them. But westerns, I'm a huge fan of the western genre of movie. Uh, and so you can, you can thumbs up to westerns or you can thumb down to westerns, okay? Hang loose means you're not paying attention. So thumbs up or thumbs down to westerns. Here's what all westerns across all, all uh, decades have in common. There is a pace to Westerns. It's slow. Long, slow pans. Think about John Wayne talking. Slow talking. It's a slow genre of music. If you're in a hurry, don't watch a Western. It will only frustrate you. So that's true, but here's the other thing. Slow pace, but quick draw, right? Every Western has people staying alive longest who are quickest on the draw. Quickest on the draw is what the movie's about a lot of times. Learning to shoot if you don't know how to shoot. Describing why you got so good. Demonstrating it all the time. Quick draw like your life depends on it. Let's flip this over to forgiveness, okay? Be quick on the draw. If there is unforgiveness in your heart, be quick on the draw. Be quick to forgive. Be ready to forgive. What does it take to be quick on the draw with a gun? It takes learning it. It takes rehearsing it. It takes practicing it, right? What does it take to be quick and ready, like just at the ready to forgive? It takes rehearsing it. It takes practicing it. It takes it being modeled from someone else, showing you how to do it. Jesus provides this. What is communion this morning but a rehearsal of the ultimate forgiveness? It's stopping and remembering that. We, we, we grow in our forgiveness as we practice forgiveness. We're ready to forgive just like Jesus. No grudge holding, no sulking, no making them pay for it with time. Listen to some of these just words from Scripture that tie into our relationships that all talk about the urgency and daily of our need to tend to relationships. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. God's mercies are new every morning. We're instructed that if we're at the altar and we're worshiping God and we remember, oh, that's right, someone has something against me. It says, leave the place of worship. Leave what you're doing and go make things right, right now. Do you sense the urgency Do you sense the daily need of this? Be quick on the draw. Practice it. Get on with this. Your very life depends on it. Here's number two. Living like Jesus means I forgive repeatedly. Some of you wish this verse were not in the Bible. Jesus says this in verse four. If he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him unreasonable you cry outrageous some would look at this and say that's utterly immoral you're an enabler our sense of justice and violated rights are awakened in this i can hear your minds going yeah but and what if and you start thinking of all of the examples of why this must not be true We tend to rage against the truth of God, like a bright light coming on in the midst of being darkened in our thinking and in our minds and in our patterns. 
Here's my question for you. If you pay attention to yourself, how many times in one day do you need God to forgive you? How many times in one day do you need God to forgive you? Here's a little hint. If it is less than seven, you need to invite a truth-telling close friend to follow you around for one day. Better yet, just listen to the Holy Spirit. Pray and ask God tomorrow morning. God, it's Monday. Would you follow me around and call to my mind how often I need to go to you for forgiveness? It'll be more than seven. Stop keeping score and leave it to God for, to forgive. It is above all of our pay grade to figure this whole thing out. Jesus says, your role in this, forgive. Not because you think he deserves it. Not you because you think she is worthy or sincere. But because I've commanded you and I have your best interest in mind. We have tons of scorekeeping going on in our home right now. Way more than normal. Why? Because we're playing tons of games. Now, what happens with board games in our family is we sort of divide out a little bit into the uber-competitive, probably sinful competitive at times, into the ultra-uncompetitive. And those who are most interested in keeping score in a game are those who think they're winning, right? If you're, just, if you're out of the game, you're like, let's just end this early. Who cares what the score is? Let's just get on with it. But if you think you're winning, you want to get scores down to the nth degree, Stop keeping score. Keep your eyes daily on what, uh, what God has and is forgiving you, and you will stop keeping score. You won't think you're ahead anymore. You'll lay it down. Jesus told the story of the unmerciful servant. He was forgiven a mountain of debt by the king a debt that he'd never be able to pay off. And yet he leaves that scene and immediately throws the book at a debt owed from a fellow servant. God is outraged at that. It's not that the wrong done to you is a small thing. Hear this clearly. It's not that the wrong that has been done to you is a small thing. God hates wickedness. God grieves with sin. God will make right. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So it's not that the wrong done to you is small. It's that your own pardon from God is so huge. It's not that what's done to you is small. It's that your own pardon from God is so huge. The title image for this morning is sort of a drone aerial shot of where water meets sand. And it's a really powerful picture of what, what forgiveness might look like. As God's children, we build our little sin sandcastles, don't we? And the, the tide of grace comes in. God's forgiveness is complete. It comes in and completely washes it away. As far as east is from west, there's no trace of that sin anymore. It can't hurt us. It can't follow us. It doesn't weigh us down. That's the picture of forgiveness. Jesus is saying this, you go and forgive. He's about to give the ultimate example. We looked at it particularly as a world at Easter last week. You are free and forgiven from your past sin. Freely go and forgive people the wrong 
they commit against you. When your but, what if voices arise, we have this in your community groups this week. Matthew 18 is a powerful picture. There's nuances to this, right? How do, we, how do we treat that person? What does it look like to remain in relationship or not so much in relationship? So there are all kinds of things that deal with the complexities of it. You go and do simply what Jesus tells you to do. Disciples who are hearing this understand how abnormal and beyond capable they are with this, and so they do the right thing. They run to Jesus with their concern. Look at verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. The disciples went to the right person, but evidently they requested the wrong thing. Jesus, this sounds really, really hard. Give us more faith. More must be better. Jesus corrects them. Jesus tells them to apply what they already have. He doesn't say, here's how you get more. He says, apply what you already have. The tiniest amount of faith in God accomplishes what you would never consider doing on your own. Like verbal yard decorating, right? You don't try that without faith in God. So it is with our forgiveness. So it's not more faith, but exercised faith. Tell me, how do you get stronger in your body? Do you ask for more muscle? Do you pray for more muscle? No. You go and use the muscle you have, no matter how tiny that muscle may be. What happens when you exercise your muscles? They grow. That's the natural process. We learn from the physical world what's going on in the spiritual world. How do you get smarter? You use your brain. You think you exercise what you already have. This is the principle with faith. Listen to Hebrews 5.14. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. How do I know what's right and wrong? You constantly practice it. You exercise thought, careful thought, on what the right thing and what the wrong thing is. So it is with our faith. So with the eyes, with our eyes on Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith, we do not fall into the temptation of unbelief. Stop looking at what you can accomplish and stare at what God is able to accomplish through you. So Jesus forgives readily. Jesus forgives repeatedly. One more. Jesus forgives regularly. And by regular, I mean it in this definition. As in ordinary, plain, usual. He tells us to go and do the same. Living like Jesus means I forgive regularly. Jesus goes on to tell what's kind of a common sense story that points out the basic relationship of master-servant. Here we go, verse 7. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing and keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come in at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? 
So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Here's the pastoral word of Jesus to the church. Ready? Don't let pride lead you to wanting a parade for simply living as a Christian. Don't let pride seep in and lead you to think you deserve a parade for simply living as a born-again believer. When you forgive, don't feel entitled. Now, if you're used to getting a trophy for trying, we live in a trophy for trying culture, right? Everyone gets the trophy. Everyone tried. Your feelings are hurt right now. I get it. This is hard truth for us. We go, that, that hurts my feelings. When you forgive, you are merely living as a son, as a daughter of the Most High King. You're merely doing what you live and breathe and experience. Forgiveness is merely our duty as servants of Christ. No pride must enter into this. You aren't varsity because you're living born again. The only way to live the now and later life is through kingdom power. Again, If your idea of forgiveness makes sense and seems really reasonable and doable, it's unbiblical. Our duty to forgive is tied up in whether or not we have been forgiven. Forgiven people forgive people. If you have not tasted divine forgiveness, you cannot extend divine forgiveness forgiveness. If you're in Christ, I'll say it again. You are right now forgiven and free. That's what being in Christ means. Now go take a walk and exercise your faith in the area of forgiveness. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. We're going to take our sermon time and shift it into focusing on some communion time. You may want to go get your elements right now, or if you have them ready, or ushers in the home, you can come forward now. Careful not to spill the grape juice on the carpet. As we think about communion, as we turn our attention from experiencing Christ in song, experiencing Christ in the preached word, we now look to experience Christ in the celebration of the Lord's table. We look to and remember the forgiveness that is ours in Christ. Not to just hold on to it, but so that we can follow him and obey his commands. There's no way you can forgive your brothers this week for a moment without the forgiveness of Christ. For this this week's communion time, I just want to shift our attention to Philippians 2. If you want to turn over to Philippians 2, starting in verse 1, you can. We did a series a long time ago called Demanding. It lives online. You can listen to podcasts. We were so ancient back then. We just did podcasting. We didn't do this live streaming stuff. But from our Demanding series, we see that Jesus teaches Christians to suffer well. Christians, you live differently. We don't live our life to avoid suffering at all costs. That's the God of comfort. We don't bow to the God of comfort. Jesus never taught us, steer your life to avoid as much pain as possible. In fact, what he said instead is expect hardship and suffer well. Let me show you how to do it. 
Philippians chapter 2 verse 1 says this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each one of you should look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Now, let me unpack Jesus's modeling of this for us. We are to imitate Jesus in every way, even in, I would say, especially in hard times. Verse 5 says this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to. That's releasing his rights. Christian, release your rights. Verse 7, but made himself nothing. That is self-effacing. He suffered degradation. He didn't just humble himself. He humiliated himself. He allowed himself to be humiliated, shamed, the lowest. Being made in human likeness. What is that? That's a picture of his meekness. Meekness is not the absence of power or rights or the ability to change stuff. It's laying it down for the sake of a higher purpose. We're to be meek, Christian. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as as a man, he humbled himself. Again, that's humiliation. He died the most shameful of deaths. And when you see that cross that's empty, you remember not only that he's alive, but that he suffered the most humiliating way to die publicly. And became obedient to death. Jesus was on a mission. We live as obedient slaves, just like Jesus Christ. Whatever's told to us, we respond instantly. We don't expect some giant parade. Even death on a cross. The physical, emotional, financial ruin for the sake of others. This is the life Jesus lived. This is the life Jesus is calling us to. Now, just before we sing, listen to the result. Ready? Verse 9. Therefore... Here was the attitude in Christ. Here's all that he did. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Not only are we called to forgive in Christ, not only are we forgiven in Christ, we are called to live like Christ and we receive with Christ that commendation. Right now, pause and marvel at the forgiveness of God. Take this holy moment, set down everything else that would distract and sit with Jesus in this moment. Use your redeemed imagination to just picture what it's like to be with him. Let him fill you with hope and lift your heart. Church, let's sing.